This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Wow. Well, good morning. So, so nice to be surrounded by all these familiar faces and maybe some unfamiliar faces. Is there anybody that is here for the first time? Welcome, welcome. It's nice to see you here, Pamela. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> um, is this your first time here? Me? No, I was talking to the woman behind you because oh, she's okay. a friend of mine. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, uh, I'm Pat Yanks. Uh, for those who don't know my name, I've been here forever. <laughs> and one time I was head student, so I get to give Dharma talks, which is uh, a uh, true labor. It's kind of like having a baby. <laughs> it can be painful to get these things together <laughs> and try to make them articulate, <laughs> which is not my natural style. Um, but it's also worth it. It really is. Oh, it sort of ramps up my practice. Uh, yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon, I still had not settled on a title for the or a subject to talk about today. And this sort of day before the talk, panic was setting in, and I came up with this kind of crazy idea. Um, well, crazy by my standards. <laughs> um, that um, you, know, you know, every morning after we service, we uh, circle up in there, and somebody just picks up a Zen line, beginner's mind, and just reads a random paragraph from it. And it is always so nice to hear these. They always seem so fresh and new. And uh, so I thought, hmm, that's what I'm going to do. I can't think of a topic. I'm going to just open up Zen line, beginner's mind to a random paragraph, and then I'm going to read that paragraph to you, and then I'm going to sort of talk about what, how it relates to my life, you know, what, what does this say to me, uh, and um, so it's, it's a prepared talk, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to do it extemporaneously like the Rinzais do, Rinzais have a, a, a way of speaking, uh, or they're, uh, when uh, they're, uh, the Zen master gives a talk, it's called a Taisho, and uh, a Taisho is based on a, a, a case from one of the koan books, you know, like the Malvin Khan. And they read the case, and then they're supposed to talk tempor- extemporaneously what comes up you know, for them uh, from this. Uh, although most modern-day Americans and teachers that I've run into don't speak extemporaneously. They, they have it uh, worked out. But, so this would be kind of a different kind of a... Soto Tasha, maybe, I don't know. So here's my, here's my, uh, here's what I uh, picked when I first opened Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. So try not to see something in particular. Try not to achieve anything special. You already have everything in your own pure quality. If you understand this ultimate fact, there is no fear. There may be some difficulty, of course, but there's no fear. If people have difficulty without being aware of the difficulty, that is true difficulty. 
They may appear very confident, they may think they are making a big effort in the right direction, but without knowing it, what they do comes out of fear. Something may vanish for them, but if your effort is in the right direction, then there is no fear of losing anything. Even if it is in the wrong direction, if you are aware of that, you will not be deluded. There is nothing to lose. There is only the constant, pure quality of right practice. So, um, so Suzuki wrote, uh, Suzuki Roshi starts off with um, um, two admonitions. Try not to see something in particular and try not to achieve anything special. What's he mean by try not to see something in particular? Anyone? Any idea? Don't have ideas. Don't have ideas. Yeah. How do you not have ideas? Wow. It's <laughs> a hard one. Try not to see something in particular. Get out uh, of fixed mind. What's that? Get out get, of fixed mind. Get out of fixed mind. Yeah. My, and the way I said it was have no expectations. So I think those are all saying somewhat the same thing. Get out of fixed mind. Have no ideas. Have no expectations. What about trying not to achieve anything special? Maybe things don't have to be special to be enjoyable. Maybe just enjoying where you are right then wow. is good and not having to hope something gets more exciting. So true, so true. Everybody hear that? Thank you, Catherine. If we think something is special, we've already defined it and attached to it. Exactly, yeah. So by not thinking of it as special, we can be free with it. Exactly. I'm really trying to get you all to give the Dharma talk. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing a great job. <laughs> I am just seriously sleep deprived. <laughs> um, so, Khan, what difficult things to ask us to do? Because don't we spend so much of our time expecting something to be a certain way or having ideas about how it should be? Or, uh, and, and don't we, don't we really want to be special? Don't we want to, don't we want to achieve something special? Isn't that a good thing, you know? Uh, so, why, why does he say this? Why shouldn't we do these things? Why shouldn't we do them? Why does he say this? see things as separate. What's that? It causes us to see things as separate. Exactly. It causes us to see things as separate. And that brings suffering. Major, major suffering. So, uh, you know, this idea of having expectations or having ideas about things or wanting things to come out, uh, a certain way is a very limiting is a very limiting way to live. You know why? Because the best you can get, assuming that you want a, a good outcome, the best you can get is what you expect. 
how dull is that? <laughs> and then, of course, the worst thing is it doesn't come out the way you want, and then, then there's even more suffering. Uh, of course, there's some people that try to manage this suffering by always expecting the very worst thing to happen, you know, and then they're, they're always kind of pleasantly surprised it didn't turn out that bad, but what are they doing? They're shifting their suffering to the front, so now they feel... Uh, <laughs> so either way, you know, you may try to manage your expectations. Uh, uh, it's going to cause uh, a life of at best dullness and limitedness and um, so where is the where is the zest in that it reminds me it reminded me of a trip that I took to Costa Rica a while back uh, with my partner Tony at the time and we uh, were staying at this resort on the Pacific side of the country and, of course, Costa Rica has incredible birds, really, really beautiful birds. So we went on a little bird walk that was organized by our place we stayed. And uh, that, that part of uh, Costa Rica is famous for having uh, uh, scarlet macaws, and pretty big parrots, and pretty stunning looking. And there was this woman on the, the uh, walk that really wanted to see a scarlet macaw, and that's all she wanted to see. And we saw so many splendid birds on that walk, and we saw these great big blue butterflies that were like this big, and this woman was not happy. <laughs> she was not happy because she never saw the scarlet macaw. And that's what happens when we, we uh, you know, expect something too much. We miss, we miss everything else. And it just stuck with me because it, it just seems like we all do that from time to time. We look so hard for some particular th- outcome and it doesn't happen. Um, my first rakasu uh, was from Barbara Cohn, and on the back she wrote, Every time you look, you'll see it new. And uh, I, 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 I love that. And... and, and Sometimes it's true. Every time you look, you see it new. It's kind of the upside of impermanence. You know, impermanence can cause so much pain, but boy, look look what it gives us. Something new all the time. Um, even if we take the the same route every day to work, you know, there's always new things to see. So, and in, in it's, you know, it's, it's so human to want to do something special, to stand out and to make our mark and um, proclaim ourselves to the world as, you know, somebody worthy of uh, special attention. We want to be perfect and we want to be the best. And, uh, you know, all of these things aren't really bad in themselves, but, but as Anne said, being special is being, is being separate. It's kind of a paradox, but um, I don't know what what is it. What is the stereotypical thing that human beings want more than anything else? You know, you read it in all the tabloids and all that. What is it? We want to be famous. We want to be rich. I don't know. Probably not so true of this crowd, but you know, if you take the general population, we want to be famous. We want to be rich. I mean, there's songs about it. Um, 
But uh, actually, those probably are the two very worst things for happiness because they're so separating. We want to have a lot of money so we can be independent. We don't have to ask anybody for anything. And so there we are, stuck out there, all nice and independent, can do anything we want, but we don't get to form those those bonds with those you know gift-giving bonds that can happen. Um, I when uh, Paul Haller was here at Rock, uh, for Rakasu, he. I told you I was tired. Rahatsu. <laughs> when he was here for Rahatsu, he had a he had a phrase he used a lot, and I, it kind of really stuck with me. He talked about living in a world according to me, or living a life according to me. You know, and um, so um, when we try to control our life and 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 make something happen from our little self, from this little me in this world according to me, we get so obsessed. And when we're in this mode, we can't really tap into anything bigger than ourselves. We can't tap into the universal wisdom and whatever we accomplish in our drive to be special is going to be limited, if it even succeeds at all. Um... All right, well, moving on to another thing that uh, uh, Suzuki said. Uh, he said, you already have everything in your own pure quality. It's kind of a strange way, a strange wording, but he didn't speak really, really good English, and so um, things sometimes came out sounding a little different than we're used to, but I'd sort of in your own pure quality something there he's trying to say. Um, and he said this in other ways a lot during his life, like you, you, are per, you know the famous quote about you are perfect just as you are, but you could use a little help or a little improvement. <coughs> or, um, you know, in, in various ways he talked about we are complete as, as we are. We... Um, and this means that we're imbued... Uh, with with wisdom that uh, it's, it's all through us we're riddled with wisdom there's nothing we can do to not have wisdom but we can cover it up uh, we can keep it hidden we can uh, live in the live in our live life according to me and and and, and lose out on that that um, that wisdom that's that's everywhere This, this wisdom stuff, um, I know it's kind of hard to picture it. I used to picture wisdom as as something in me, like something where around my belly, you know, where I, there was like this tank of, of wisdom. But unfortunately, you know, it was black gunk on top of it, and usually I couldn't, couldn't see it. I don't know, I don't think of it that way anymore. I just sort of think of it as... Well, I guess I don't really have too much of a, an image of it anymore. Um, we talk about people that aren't are, are, are rarely tuned into their their wisdom as 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 people that are asleep, which is us too, much of, much of the time. Uh, 
book, but wisdom is always there, and it's in plain view, they say. They say it's in plain view. They say you just have to look and uh, drop all the uh, stuff that comes up in between you and, and it, and you'll see it. It reminds me of those, those trick pictures, you know, like, I don't know, there's an old one of the... The old, you see it's an old crone, it's in black and white, and you look and you clearly see this old crone, and then you blink your eyes and you look at it a different way, and it's this kind of society woman with her head turned in a big hat, you know, that, that picture. It's kind of, kind of amazing that you, you, you can see such different things in, in, in the same space, and that's kind of like wisdom is, I guess. Uh, when we can get locked into it. And it can happen so instantaneously, too. It's, it can be so... <sighs> yeah. So uh, this uh, idea that you always have everything that you need, that you are complete, you actually are complete and you are actually beautiful. Man, I have a hard time seeing that in myself. I don't feel complete at all a lot of the time. I feel... Um, I feel a, a, a lack. I feel um, a, a need to somehow prove myself, if to nobody else but to myself. Um, so during Rahatsu, again, when Paul Heller was here, uh, he he read a uh, an incredible poem that brought tears to my eyes. And I don't know, some of you were there. He read that poem about um, Saint Francis and the Sow. Remember that poem? Oh, a tree, yeah, the tree was, yeah, 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 <laughs> the tree. <laughs> I don't know which one I like better, but the, but the sow affected me in a real personal way, and um, because he was celebrating the beauty of the sow, he said, you know, St. Francis um, stroked the brow, the wrinkled brow of the broken-hearted sow, and reminded her that she was lovely. And that helped her remember. So when I heard that poem, I, I dedicated my, my session. I, I had a, um, um, I, I, to seeing, trying to see my own beauty and see my own completeness. And, um, so I, I started to think back on my life, and I started to think about how somehow the universe or this universal wisdom had, had helped me, and I didn't have to go too far. I kind of went back to the way that I first came to Zen practice. Uh, I think every one of us that came to Zen practice came here because of this wisdom, this maybe that you don't see it, but it's working somehow in you. Uh, it's just with me, uh, it... It was a kind of a, a a very visceral experience. So I'll tell it to you because uh, it, um, yeah, because I, I think it's a, a good uh, illustration of of well, how this how this wisdom stuff stuff works in us. Um, I uh, I had only heard about Zen fairly recently from a friend. And uh, I was very uh, taken by it. It sounded, just from the little bit that I read, it sounded like it was what I needed. I was, this was in 1988. I was 42 years old. I was extremely immature. Um, 
I am I'm not particularly happy. Um, anyway, I, I went up to Dallas with this friend and with some other friends to a weekend retreat, and it was a it was a little center uh, that had been started by uh, Sozaki Roshi's lineage. Sozaki Roshi's lineage. He's a Rinzai teacher that died. The one that died, uh, you know, back in 1914. I mean, 2014. <laughs> um, Anyway, I, I went to this weekend retreat, and mind you, I had never sat before. I didn't know really what meditation was. I didn't know anything, and I went to this two-day retreat. You know, it sounds so stupid and naive that somebody would do that, but, you know, I think you know, wisdom was already at work somehow. Because I, I sat through this thing, and I, I know that there was an orientation. I kind of remember it, but... I don't remember hearing what you were supposed to do when you meditate, except that you were supposed to sit very still. I knew that. And uh, so all morning long, I got to sit still, and whatever I could do to sit still. So I told myself a bunch of stories, entertained myself with all kinds of thoughts, because I didn't know any better, and I guess I, I, guess I sensed this wasn't really working, and somehow somebody helped me out at the break after lunch, and no, you have to watch, watch your thoughts, just watch your thoughts, just let your, your, you know, I don't know how they explained it, but somehow, so just sit and watch thoughts, and, and uh, you know, just be in a different place than where thinking mind takes you, and so I did that for the rest of the time, and, and I got through it, I did get through it. And but on the way home, you know, I thought to myself, this is crazy. It's just crazy. You know, sit in a room with a bunch of people, all quiet. <laughs> just sit perfectly still. How crazy is that? I'm not gonna do this. No, no, no. I was pretty sure I wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> and this is where the visceral part came in. It seemed like a couple of days later. I found myself, and I was not willing this at all. This was not coming from my head. I was just being sort of directed to take a cushion off my couch and put it on the floor and sit on it, and I was not in control. <laughs> it was very weird. I've talked to at least one other person in the sangha that had a similar experience. So <laughs> so there it was, a very visceral experience of experiencing this, this, this wisdom that just, that just took me by the scruff of the neck and it pulled me, and it said, you're going to do this because you need it. <laughs> So, um, you know, I've I, I, I never really looked back. I've always been a practitioner since then. Maybe sometimes, you know, the first 10 years, my, my teacher lived in California, so I didn't see him that often. And uh, maybe there were times when I didn't sit for a couple months, and I would sit every day for a couple months, and it was kind of an off and on again kind of practice. But I always went to Sashim's. Sashim's were, my, were where it's at for me. I just, uh, they just... Uh, Worked, worked magic for me. Um, so uh, I told that story to Paul, um, and I all right. So um, we talked. Uh, you know, I, I talked the the first two admonitions that. Uh, Suzuki gave, don't see anything in particular and try not to see anything special, uh, sounds so difficult. And uh, we don't, well, I'll speak for myself, I don't, I don't follow these, I mean, I, I try, but 
there's a lot of, of desire to be. I, you know, I wouldn't have had day before talk panic if I weren't worried about my talk, wanting it to be special. I wanted my talk to be special. I wanted people to say, wow, what a good talk, you know. <laughs> if I hadn't had that, if I hadn't had that going on, you know, probably would be no panic. Um, but uh, then uh, here's something that uh, Suzuki says uh, next. He says, it, remember, he, if people have difficulty without being aware that they are having difficulty, that is true difficulty. Uh, again, a, a, a kind of a curious word to use, difficulty, because we don't really think, we think, you know, I mean, there's always difficulty in you know, whatever you do. But I think maybe I kind of translated to say, so if we're in trouble and we don't know we're in trouble, then we're really in trouble. And, of course... Of course, that uh, implies the uh, the opposite. That if you are in trouble, but you're aware you're in trouble, maybe you're not really in trouble, or maybe it's not as bad as you think. And this is this is the redemption uh, that we the, uh, that we uh, get from, uh, and this is what our what our practice gives us. It gives us a tool and a way to see when we're in trouble, and to see uh, when we're in the world according to me, you know. And uh, we sometimes can see that we're in this world and try to get out of it, clawing our way, but you know, we, it seems like we're never going to get out of it. And uh, um, um, But the magic of this practice is that just seeing that we're there is kind of almost enough. Uh, and the more we see, the more we get our edges smoothed out and we find that maybe we get a little bit lighter. Maybe we don't always have to be trying to be special. Maybe we don't always have to have all these expectations. Now I know that I I I, I don't really when I think how I used to think about uh, things that were upcoming I would have such a clear idea of what's going to happen, which almost was never true. It never really happened the way I imagined it, uh, and I don't do that much anymore. Now I'm not sure whether it's because of my practice. I think it's somewhat because of my practice. It's also just growing old and, and experiencing that you. You do this, and it's never true. It never never comes out right. So you know, I might as well drop it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so this this living, this being in trouble and not knowing we're in trouble, not knowing we're in our small minds, uh, is uh, living in delusion and thinking that it's real life, thinking this is the way we have to live. There's not any other choice. Um, that we have to, and, and and when we're in this state, when we're in this small, uh, small we call it small mind or this world according to me, it's not a very nice place, right? Uh, you know, you guys know from your experience. What what do you what, what does it feel like when you're in your world according to me and you know it and you see yourself in it? What's it, what are some what's it feel like? Uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Well, they can feel pretty darn comfortable at first. Oh, yeah. But everything changes as it says here. <laughs> <laughs> when you realize that other people aren't playing by your rules, they're not sticky. Yeah, yeah. Or you, or you have some ill will towards somebody and you kind of, there's almost a little pleasure in it, like, you know, it feels like you're a little superior here and then, and then pretty soon your whole mind is just filled with kind of hatred and ill will towards everybody and, you know, yeah. Yeah, it can feel good at first. Well, what about lonely? How about, does it feel lonely? For me, it feels pretty lonely pretty, um, and, and scary. When you're in this world, according to me, you are uh, setting yourself up against all your all your clan, you know, all your buddies. You're you're uh, you're on your own, and uh, so it's it's and and you've got a lot to lose because when you're in the world, according to me, it's important that you be right and that you be uh, important and. Uh, that's there's just so much to lose once you once you start thinking like that, so it's scary. And um, what are some of the other things I wrote down here? Uh, it's competitive. It's it's the world of the the jealous gods. You know, there's just always in competition, always being right. Being right's the most important thing. So, um, so once you uh, get pretty aware of of uh, all of this stuff going on, this fear and the, the and once you really let yourself feel this, uh, you you start to learn. I don't want to be. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel all by myself. So somehow that wisdom kicks in and, you know, slowly and surely starts to shape you and you, you, um, uh, you learn what gets you there, you learn what sets you off, what sets you down uh, on a track to being, to walking into the world according to you or me, and you, you know, just very slowly start to learn to work with it. But it's the seeing of it that is is really our salvation, is that we can see uh, and we can really feel what it's like to be in this competitive, dualistic kind of state. And I, I don't like to go there at all, but I still go there a lot. I don't know why because I'm human and we're, we're just built that way, you know? It's, it's really, uh, we're, I guess it's our, our, our animal need to protect ourselves. So, you know, it's each man for himself. It's sort of like that poverty mentality, too. Poverty mentality is very tied up to that, where we feel we are lacking. We, we aren't complete. We don't feel complete. 
Um, and if there's anybody in here that does feel complete, I'm sorry if I. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I should just speak for myself. I don't feel complete, <laughs> and uh, so I'm. I, and I feel the slack, and I don't. I. I, I can't. And, and yet, and yet, we live in this incredibly beautiful world where there's so much. There's so much, and there's so much wisdom, and there's so much uh, compassion swirling all around, and we many times can't see it. And and uh, so it's like the, the hungry ghosts, you know, the hungry ghosts are those guys with the great big thin necks, and they're very, very hungry, but they can't take anything in. And uh, we're, we're the hungry ghosts. At least I'm hungry ghosts. Some of you are hungry ghosts. Um, so we're starving, but we have these tiny necks, and we just can't get, get what we, we think we can't get what we need because we don't know that we already have what we need. So um, I guess that I am finished with my talk. Uh, is there any comments or questions? I'd love to entertain them or, you know. Um, you to Thank you for your talk, Pat. One, uh, one question that <clears throat> comes up is how do you, in the, what you brought up with Suzuki Roshi saying that if you don't know you're in trouble, then you're really in trouble. How does knowing you're in trouble, in your words, the trouble part, or you have that there's difficulty, mm-hmm. how does, in your experience, knowing about the trouble or the difficulty, how has that been of benefit? How does that turn things around? Or does it? It's like magic. <laughs> no, uh, I, I told a story one time in a talk, a little story from my life about. Uh, about that very thing, uh, it, it, it well, basically, I think well, one of the things there's probably many many answers to that question, but maybe one is that it 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 takes uh, the power of the power of that uh, type of thinking. It it, it just uh, takes the power of it away because because you're looking at it. You're you're looking at it rather than looking at the object of your whatever it is that you're uh, in 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 this world about. Maybe you're maybe you have some ill will towards somebody, and you're directing your ill will at that person. But when you take your eyes and your mind off of that and look at yourself and see what you're doing. It just kind of undercuts that that power that you were directing at whatever whatever it is. Uh, so that's part of it, and then just uh, just seeing how bad you feel and wanting not to feel that way, of course, is another part of it. And uh, I'll tell this little story again. I've told this before. That's the trouble with getting old. You start saying the same things over and over again. Um, but uh, I, I back a. A while back, when my mother was uh, in the process of dying, and I was going to Houston to visit her a lot, I had a sister-in-law that I used to not get along with at all. I called her toxic. I'm told, "Don't call people toxic because you know, then they are." But you know, I, 
but that's what I called her in my mind, and I really, and she made, would make me so angry sometimes. And one day, I was there with my mother, and I didn't have much to do. I was, my mother was not always uh, great company. She was not, not well. And, but I was with her there in the, her apartment, and I was thinking about something a sister-in-law had said or done to me, and I was just working myself up into a regular snit about it, but I saw myself doing it, and I didn't have much to do that day, so I just kept seeing myself bringing the sister-in-law up again and again, and I would say, hey, why do I keep thinking about her? Just stop it, you know? But I kept, but she, she kept coming up, and I kept seeing it, and I kept seeing it. There was a knock on the door. I opened the door. It's my sister-in-law, you know, this very person. And I hugged her, and I thought, what? Where did that come from? How can I hug her? I was, like, so angry. But, and I realized it was just this watching, you know, just, just watching this, me doing this, that it, it just, it just um, it, you know, it just undercut the, the whole thing, the whole anger thing. So even though I was still uncomfortable, I was still feeling these bad thoughts, they weren't affecting my actions too much, you know. I don't know. So. You, you introduced. Did you have any other? It's kind of similar to what I was going to ask you. So. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, from before. Yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say that you you introduced that passage by calling, but by, by labeling those instructions as admonitions, right? Yeah. Or, or something Maybe like, that wasn't the right word. Don't, well, I don't know about right word, but I'm going to offer. The way that they came in to me, uh-huh. like what if instead of seeing it as um, you know, like sometimes we try to frame the, the precepts as they're not commandments, it's more like this is just how it works when you're in this space uh-huh. or when when you've reached this this place. Um, I heard them more as you don't have to, like you don't have to see anything in particular, you don't mm-hmm. have to achieve anything special. So, well, what happens if we do the things that he's saying, do this, do this, or don't do this? Try not like, to, he said. Yeah. You know, try not to. What happens if we can do that, even for a moment? Like, I don't do it consistently, not by any stretch. But when I heard the words, and I heard them in that context, I just felt this tiny sense of relief. Like, well, thank God, I don't have to achieve anything special. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're trying to see something in particular, are you, am I seeing the right thing? Or am I seeing it correctly? Whatever it's just like if, if if I don't know that that's basically it. I think yeah. if you can hear it not as don't do the wrong thing, but more like hey, this thing that you're struggling with, you don't have to always struggle with that. And if you yeah. like, if you can experience it as kind of a letting go or relaxing, then maybe it's more like this this wise friend <laughs> seeing that you're struggling, going. You don't have to. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when you can avoid it. Like, like yeah. then you don't want to yeah. turn it into guilt for, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a relieving thought. Yeah. Pat, I was wondering, um, <clears throat> so why... Why since 1988 have you been sitting? Why have I been sitting? Why have you been practicing? 
because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> All right, that's a smart answer, but uh, I, I know I know one thing that's held me to it is I have a lot of anxiety, and it seems like the only thing that works for that. That's one thing. But it, the, my first statement, even though it sounded kind of smart ass. Uh, <laughs> it's true. I don't really know. Uh, I don't know any other any other way to live. You know, it just nothing else seems to be quite on the mark. Is it that, John? Is your name John? No, Richard. Richard. Uh, some years ago, uh, in our sangha, we had a visiting teacher, John Tarrant Roshi, from the Pacific Zen Institute, and our sangha at that time had been struggling because we were losing people. People were coming, staying for a few days, a few weeks, and just drifting away. And we asked John for his opinion about what we should be looking at. And he said, well, you know, he said the interesting thing, the important thing is uh, not why people leave. The interesting thing is why do people stay? <laughs> and, he, and I thought that was profound. It was, it was kind of amazing. <laughs> it's a crazy practice. <laughs> to, how does this jive, but, or someone, uh, Suzuki, saying you don't have to achieve anything, yet he achieved so much. Uh, do, do you think that his achievements were effortless? In a way, I, I think that it was just his natural, his his natural energy that just he allowed to come forth. And that's when we're most successful too, is when we can just uh, do the next thing, you know, without a thought like, oh, I'm going to do this thing and people will notice me and maybe I'll get some credit or, you know, but just do it because of your own natural wisdom and compassion that, you know, well, how hard is that to do? <laughs> but, but does that make sense? I wonder if, if, if that, that, then the onus is on our nature. I mean, to... The onus is on our, our nature? Right. Yeah, I guess I mean, our nature I, can handle it, I think, if we let it. But we get in the way, right? We get in the way of it. And I, I imagine that Suzuki Roshi probably had a thought or two that might have been a little bit self-serving. You know, I, I think it's probably... <laughs> probably even the Dalai Lama, you know, has these things come up. But it's a matter of balance, you know. What's really, what's, what are you really getting out of, you need to get out of your own way, they say. Get out of your own way. Uh, so if you're, if you're doing something out of a thought that's generated from your little, you know, self-serving mind, maybe you should look at that and, and see if there's, there's more there, if that's one. You know, I don't know, does that make sense? So, yeah, uh, I would probably say that most of the great, really big things that get, that make a big difference, don't come from small minds. They come from just allowing this stuff to flow through us. You know, sounds kind of religious, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's ten after eleven, so I guess we should eat. Cookies. <laughs> 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 <laughs>